Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. This book is um, a claustrophobic psychological thriller about five friends one year out of um, graduating from high school. Um, they were a very close-knit group at um, a boarding school. And their senior year of high school, one, the sixth member of their group named Jim um, passed away very mysteriously. It was deemed a suicide, but it was uh, filled with a lot of unanswered questions. Um, so at the outset of my book, they all convene at a remote estate for a reunion of sorts. Um, they survive a near-death experience in a car accident, or so they think, and come home only to have a very mysterious man knock on their door, announcing that they have entered the Neverworld Wake, which, to make a long story short, is a break in the space-time continuum where time repeats every 11.2 hours. In order to free themselves from this limbo, they must do one of two things. Um, they must solve the murder and mysterious death of their friend Jim. They must also come to a nearly unanimous decision as to who is going to live and who can die. And there can be only one survivor to return to a normal life and a normal um, linear time. Um, so this book very much started as a side project. I always knew that I wanted to write in the young adult space because um, for me as a teenager, books were a huge part of my life and social circle, as a matter of fact. Um, my favorite authors tended to be young adult authors, and um, that, very, that time very much informed who I became as a writer. So I always knew I wanted to contribute in some small way. So I was working away on my next adult book when this little germ of an idea came into my head. And I had talked with my agent that I wanted to do young adult, but she very much was, and everyone, my publisher included, was like, just finish your third novel, then you can really do whatever you want. That's kind of the thing. And, uh, but this book really took over my imagination. And and I was working on my adult book, but um, this little book just wouldn't um, leave my head. So I would get up really early on Saturday mornings and write sort of madly for three hours straight. And, um, and I'd never had a book come together so quickly with such velocity. And um, so that was really how it came about. So um, yeah, so I, I, now that I've entered this new world and have met so many incredible readers and people who work in that industry. I'm very excited to continue. But I'm definitely not going to quit my day job because it's a good thing. So um, I'm going to be working, of course, in adult as well. So on that note, I'm going to read. Okay. Chapter 1. I hadn't spoken to Whitney Lansing or any of them in over a year. When her text arrived after my last final, it felt inevitable, like a comet tearing through the night sky, hinting of fate. Too long. WTF. Hashtag not cool. Sorry, my Tourette's again. How was your freshman year? Amazing? Awful? Seriously, we miss you. 
Breaking the silence because the gang is heading to Wincroft for my birthday. Belinda will be in Mallorca, and ESS Bert is getting married in St. Bart's for the third time. Vegan yogi. So it's ours for the weekend, like yesteryear. Can you come? What do you say, Bumblebee? Carpe noctem. Seize the night. She was the only girl I knew who surveyed everybody like a leather-clad Dior model and rattled off Latin like it was her native language. How was your exam, my mom asked when she picked me up. I confused Socrates with Plato and ran out of time during the essay, I said, pulling on my seatbelt. I'm sure you did great. She smiled, a careful look. Anything else we need to do? I shook my head. My dad and I had already cleaned out my dorm room. I'd returned my textbooks to the student union to get the 30% off for next year. My roommate had been a girl from New Haven named Casey who'd gone home to see her boyfriend every weekend. I'd barely seen her since orientation. The end of my freshman year at Emerson College had just come and gone with the indifferent silence usually reserved for a going out of business sale at a mini mall. Something dark is a brewing, Jim would have told me. I had no plans all summer except to work alongside my parents at the Captain's Crow. The Captain's Crow, the crow as it's called by locals, is the seaside cafe and ice cream parlor my family owns in Watch Hill, Rhode Island, the tiny coastal village where I grew up. Watch Hill, Rhode Island, population? You know everyone. <laughs> my great-grandfather, Bern Hartley, opened the parlor in 1885 when Watch Hill was little more than a craggy hamlet where whaling captains came to shake off their sea legs and hold their children for the first time before taking off again for the Atlantic's great unknowns. Burns' framed pencil portrait hangs over the entrance, revealing him to have the mad glare of some dead genius writer or a world explorer who never came home from the Arctic. The truth is, though, he could barely read, preferred familiar faces to strange ones, and dry land to the sea. All he ever did was run our little dockside restaurant his whole life and perfect the recipe for the best clam chowder in the world. All summer, I scooped ice cream for tan teenagers in flip-flops and pastel sweaters. They came and went in big, skittish groups like schools of fish. I made cheeseburgers and tuna melts, coleslaw and milkshakes. I swept away sand, dusting the black and white checkered floor. I threw out napkins, ketchup packets, salt packets, over 21 wristbands, Delve frozen lemonade cups, deep sea fishing party boat brochures. I put lost cell phones beside the register so they could easily be found when the panic-stricken owners came barging back inside. I lost my, oh, thank you, you're the best. <laughs> I cleaned up the torn blue tickets from the 1893 saltwater carousel, loaded just a few doors down by the beach, which featured faded, faceless mermaids to ride, not horses. Watch Hill's greatest claim to fame was that Eleanor Roosevelt had been photographed riding a redhead with a turquoise tail side saddle. It was a town joke how put out she looked in the shop, how uncomfortable and buried alive under her plate tectonic layers of ruffled skirt. I cleaned the barbecue sauce off the garbage cans, the melted wreck rummage off the tables. Wreck rummage was every kid's favorite ice cream flavor, a mashup of cookie dough, walnuts, cake batter, and dark chocolate nuggets. I Cloroxed and fantastic and Mr. Clean the windows and counters and doorknobs. I dusted the brine off the muscles and the clams, polishing every one like a gemstone dealer obsessively inspecting emeralds. Most days I rose at five and went with my dad to pick out the day's seafood when the fishing boats came in, 
inspecting crab legs and fluke, oysters and bass, running my hand over their tapping legs and claws, barnacles and iridescent bellies. I composed song lyrics for a soundtrack to a made-up movie called Lola Anderson's Highway Robbery, drawing words, rhymes, faces, and hands on napkins and takeout menus, tossing them in the trash before anyone saw them. I attended grief support group for adolescents at the North Stonington Community Center. There was only one other kid in attendance, a silent boy named Turks whose dad had died from ALS. After two meetings, he never returned, leaving me alone with the counselor, a jittery woman named Deb who wore pantsuits and wielded a three-inch thick book called Grief Management for Young People. The purpose of this exercise is to construct a positive meaning around the lost relationship, she read from chapter 7, handing me a goodbye letter worksheet. On this page, write a note to your lost loved one, detailing fond memories, hopes, and any final questions. Slapping a chewed pen that read Tobago Island Resorts on my desk, she left. I could hear her on the phone out in the hall, arguing with someone named Barry, asking him why he didn't come home last night. I drew a screeching hawk on the goodbye letter with lyrics to a made-up Japanese animated film about a forgotten thought called Lost in a Head. Then I slipped out the fire escape and never went back. I taught Sleepy Sam, giant yawn of a teenager from England visiting his American dad, how to make clam cakes and the perfect girl cheese. Girl on medium, butter, four minutes aside, six slices of Vermont sharp cheddar, two of Fontina. For July 4th, he invited me to a party at a friend of a friend's. To his shock, I actually showed. I stood by a floor lamp with a warm beer, listening to talk about guitar lessons and Zach Galifianakis, trying to find the right moment to escape. That, by the way, is B, said Sleepy Sam. She does actually speak, I swear. I didn't mention Whitley's text to anyone, though it was always in the back of my mind. It was the, way, it was the brand new, way too extravagant dress I bought, but never taken out of the bag. I just left it in there, in the back of my closet, folded in tissue paper, with the receipt, the tag still on, with every intention of returning it. Yet there was still the remote possibility I'd find the courage to put it on. And with that, I open the floor to questions. Yes. What was it like uh, switching from writing adult to writing YA? It was really liberating. I mean, I because I've always loved the space and read a lot um, YA, of course, uh, in the course of my writing career. And um, it was inter. I didn't know what to expect, so I had a very close relationship with my young adult editor, who. Um, I wrote the book, and then we, um, my agent matched me with this wonderful editor, Beverly Horowitz, who's worked with Judy Bloom and some of these great authors, and really knows the space intimately. So it was a tutorial of sorts, and it was wonderful to approach this space, um, obviously having my past experience, but also knowing this was an entirely new world, and you know I really didn't know much about the ins and outs of it. Um, one of the most amazing things that I learned at the outset was that I could still write about any subject. And simply because it was young adult, it didn't mean that I couldn't write about some of the more difficult life experiences, that actually teenagers can handle everything. It's really up to you in terms of the way that you write something. Um, I certainly thought that there would be limitations, like I couldn't say this, and that I would have constraints. And in fact, there are absolutely no constraints. 
the one thing that she kept pushing me was to really feel very strong about what I leave my readers with, much more so than my adult editor has ever pushed me to do. Um, simply because there are young teenagers looking at this, what do I want them to take away from this? And, and why would parents want to give um, their child this book? Is it a redeeming story? Is it something that um, is without hope? So that was really the one major change. Um, but so far as I've been out on the road, it's amazing to me how many adults are reading young adults. And how um, I have, heard, and also talking to booksellers, and they all have really said that there's an urgency and an agency to young adult literature now that has been, is missing, at least right now, in adult, which I find very interesting. I think that's why in this day and age where there's so much competing for your time, um, to pick up a book and know that you're immediately going to be emotionally grabbed by something, um, which is what young adult literature is really delivering to people now. And um, so it's exciting to kind of come in at that, at that moment and um, meet so many, you know, a wide range of readers who are reading this in this space right now. Yes. Going off of something you just said, do you feel that young adult novels and that genre in general should be bound by lessons to be taught to younger readers? Or do you think that you should, as an author and, you know, as the audience, be allowed or encouraged to just take on any subject? No, I actually don't. And I don't think that there should be some, you know, very clear-cut you know, morality tale, but I'm also speaking for myself. That's not how I want my books to read. Um, but, it, you know, I think that what she meant was not that, you know, there's going to be some great summation where, you know, there's a one-liner that everyone can adopt from this book. I think she just wanted me to have an extra sense of who my audience is. Um, so, no, I mean, it's, and she's the first one to want something nuanced and with wild characters and messy and nothing that can be boiled down to a soundbite, and that's the beauty of Beverly. And that's, I mean, and she's completely in alignment with what I think. But she just wanted me to know that you're reaching people at a very, um, Yes, impressionable. I was thinking like in terms, like I said, I thought the word that came to mind was spongy. Like you're just taking in so much, even when you don't want to take things in at that age. So she just wanted me to have that awareness. Um, but yeah, so that it made me really on edge, like really knowing, like as I set out every word on edge in a good way of really being aware. And I think I'm going to take that with me to my adult space. Um, I think that now it's like, yeah, what you've learned from one book, you certainly take to the next. So um, I don't really see a division for myself in terms of um, how I'm going to approach both books now. Yes? Um, now that you're a mom, your mom now yes. and you weren't when you first started writing, how has it changed your schedule with writing, but yes. also just what you want to write and what you want to write. Yes, I mean, I've heard so many young authors with no children and they're afraid that everything is going to change. And i it's really affected me in a wonderful way. It's given me a sense of my own mortality to get on with things and not be so precious about the sentences and not be so precious about the words, to um, be very much aware of time slipping away and 
if these are, if I have all of these stories that I want to tell, like I just have to get to it. Um, so I started, I really picked, I mean, now looking back at all this time on my hands, I'm like, why haven't I published 15 books? I don't understand what I was doing with my time. But um, now I, yes, I, and I stick to a very rigid schedule. Um, I get up before anyone else gets up. I get up at five and I write for two hours. I also go to bed early, um, but I write for two hours, and then the whole household gets up, and you know, it's kind of, it's a dance, and I certainly don't think I have it nailed down, but that two hours, if I get up before the whole household, I have two hours of real stillness and uninterrupted uh, silence to just you know, log a lot of pages, so then throughout the rest of the day, I can... Um, you know, write and then come out and read a book and put my kids down for a nap or um, pick one up for school. So it's kind of a dance. I definitely have a nanny so I can be shut in my office undisturbed while I'm writing, but then I come out all the time. I'm also hovering too. So um, so it is, it's a real dance, but I, I think it's really affected me um, in the sense of this sense of time always being something that's slipping through our fingers. So now is the time to just get it done. Any questions? Yes, fine. So in um, the excerpt that you just read, it took place in Watch Hill. Yes. Um, I actually spent a lot of time there. Oh, you did? Yeah, so I was oh wondering, like, did, have you spent a lot of time there, or why did you choose that town? Um, I, well, so my husband and I went on vacation there. It was the first vacation that we took, I think, after we had our first child. And we just fell in love with the, the sort of um, old-fashioned quality to the town and how it had... It, it could, I mean, walking through Main Street, it could have been 1950. It has this sort of timeless element to it. And for my main character, I wanted her to have this very quiet, small town, sheltered feel to it, um, to her background. And um, and so, yeah, so then actually the when I was talking about the cafe where her parents work, it's there's a cafe there by the carousel um, that I modeled that um, cafe <laughs> by. So, um, but yeah, I think I changed some of the geography and I invented a few bars that don't exist and took a lot of writer's license. And I yeah, I created probably like at back alleys where there are no back alleys. <laughs> That's the beauty of fiction. <laughs> Yes, I get asked that a lot. So my process is, I do work from a fairly detailed outline. Um, for my first novel, it was very rigid, and I stuck to it on a chapter-by-chapter -chapter basis, so I knew every single clue that was being revealed, and I knew every twist and turn. Night film was more exploratory, and I would say this book was something in between. I knew the final twist at the end. I really wanted it to take readers by surprise, but build um, along the way. So that I knew at the outset. Um, but I do very much like to know what my ending is before I begin. So I usually know my beginnings and my endings, a few plot points in the middle, and then allow myself the joy of creation and allowing things to shift as I go on. Um, but I do like an outline, because then I can kind of see what my progress is. Um, I don't have a page count that I have to log every day, but I think like, okay, for this week I want to get through this particular chapter, at least a rough draft. So that's also from my outline how I monitor my progress. Yes. Uh, when you were describing 
actually remind me a lot of Donna Chart's The Secret History, yes. which is also about a group of students in a private school who yes. experience a mysterious death of one of their right. friends. And yes. I was wondering if that was a sort of inspiration and or like where else you were kind of where is this idea like Germany? Totally. I'm a huge fan of the secret history. And um, so, yes, I would say um, because that book is one of my favorite books of all time, like certainly that filtered in. Also, the sense of the claustrophobic setting where people have to solve a mystery, it's clearly um, kind of a, a ode to Agatha Christie, one of my favorite authors of all time. And a lot of people are like, who are your favorite young adult authors? And I would say Agatha Christie because I remember tearing through all of her books when I was like 13 or 14 years old. So the idea of this remote estate where the electricity is cut and um, the bodies start piling up. And so instead of the electricity being cut, they're trapped in time. And um, so I love that sense of a claustrophobic setting where <clears throat> a group of people are forced to confront layer by layer of what people are hiding. And um, I was very much inspired by the fact that um, well, in this day and age, it's so easy to just um, float away from uncomfortable circumstances. We can unfollow people, we can just ghost or choose to never see them again, but what happens when we return to a high school setting where we have to show up every single day, otherwise we're not going to graduate. Like We have to see these people who are um, you know, painfully rude to us, and we have to confront them. And um, So I wanted them to return to that kind of claustrophobic setting where they had to, um, in a sort of hellish way, deal with these people. Any other questions? Yes. Um, because you mentioned Agatha Christie, there's yes. always kind of like a an ending where you know what happened. Yeah. You write from a point of view um, where your endings are really open ended. Yes. So I'm just curious. Do you know what happened? Do you have you know ideas of exactly where the story goes from there, and you're just letting it up to us, or is it like, oh, you change your mind? You know? Yes. No. So I always have a very specific sense of what happens. Um, but it's funny because my husband is like, your books are all just about fantasy versus reality. And it's like up to the, I'm like, honey, thanks for distilling all of my work into like a little <laughs> emoji. <laughs> He's like, it's all about reality versus fantasy. And it's true. I mean, I like the sense of um, it's up to the reader to decide. And I don't do that consciously, but it just seems like even though I have the ending, it just sort of, the writing pulls out to that wider scope of um, some things you can't prove, you just have to know in your heart, and uh, will you be able to prove it to a detective or your brother or your husband? Um, no, it's sometimes the truth that's revealed is only something you can know, and um, and can you prove it behind a, beyond a reasonable doubt? No. Um, so, yes, but I always have a very strict idea in my head. But I will say, some of the more rational people come up to me at readings and they're like, this really happened. Like, I need to you know, hear from the author. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. And they get very angry. <laughs> Are there any other questions? Yes. Weird question. Yes. But because I was, I thank you for bringing up that point. Uh, your novels have that, is it, isn't it kind of, mm -hmm. but wait, no. You know, that kind of feeling going back and forth. When you personally read mystery novels, do you predict their endings quickly? I do, I do. Yes. I mean, I can always 
Yes, I, I mean, that's part one of the sad things about being a thriller mystery writer is that you can see, you understand. So like you can't just enjoy it anymore. You always see the scaffolding behind the house. But um, yes, and that also makes me, I'm not, my husband does not like watching like Netflix series with me because I'm like, oh, he did it on the first um, episode and it just ruins it. Um, but uh, yes, I think that... Um, the challenge for me now as a writer is to know everything that I know and still keep guessing. So if I can, yeah, if I can surprise a fellow mystery writer or so, you know, someone who reads a lot of mysteries, I, I feel as if I've done my job. Because that, that twist ending should have a lot of things clicking into place. There should be that aha moment, but also that moment of recognition, and it's that kind of fine line that you have to walk. Are there any other questions? That's it. Thank you so much for coming out. So excited for you to read this book. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.